0: Welcome to this week's podcast, at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, as the kids uh, head out, I want to make an announcement about uh, women's ministry. So our women's ministry is kicking off with a new study. Uh, Do you have that picture? There it is. Uh, They're going to be reading a book together in various places, right, Beth, various places all across town. You can go to Lariat Lounge if you want to, or you can go to Muddy Buck, you can go to somebody's home. There's sign-up sheets in the lobby, so when you head out to the right-hand side, uh, there's a place to sign up, and it's an opportunity to read the book and then just get together. Now, if they don't read the chapter, can they show up? Can they still come? Beth said you can. So if you missed the chapter that week, you can still show up. And I think it's about six, five, four, five, six different groups. So if you guys want to connect to that, it's an opportunity to uh, find some community and a place of growth and connection together. You know, as a church, our passion is to be together with each other as we are with God. So what we want to be as a church is a church that is in God's presence. And because you're in God's presence, listen, you've got to be in each other's presence. You've got to learn to love one another, care for each other, invest in each other. And the reality is... Not everybody in this room agrees. I don't know if you know that. I do. I feel the weight of that every time I get up front and have to address different topics. I know everyone in this room just doesn't doesn't agree. But what we agree on is we agree on Christ. We agree on the gospel. We agree on God. That's our center point. We go to scripture. You know, and also as a pastor, one of the challenging things I do, and I know a lot of pastors avoid it, is I tend to address what's going on in our culture. Just like on January 6th, I'm probably one of the only people who preached a message about what happened on January 6th. And all I said to some of you, you're like, what did he say? All I said is, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Do not associate the name of the Lord with a human ruler. That's it. That's all I said, if you're wanted. But likewise, today, we have to deal with the cultural issues in our culture. You know, I was reading this morning, I got up, I was praying about this, whether I would address this or not, and everything in me says not. (laughs) Fear wells the soul, condemnation covers, and I say, okay, I'm going to get it wrong with somebody in here. I don't know who they are, but I'll get it wrong. And then I read this statement by a guy named David Platt. If you guys want to pull that up, Bella, there's a... Some slides I want to pull up. I'm going to read what David Platt wrote, who is a pastor. And David Platt said this. He says, Praise God that for the first time in almost 50 years in our country, it is no longer seen as a constitutional right for people to take the lives of children in their mother's womb. Every good gift comes from the hand of God And this is a good gift that God has given by his grace and for his glory as the creator who forms each of us fearfully and wonderfully in our mother's womb. Then he goes on and says, love. Love. Love women with unwanted pregnancies who feel like abortion is their hope. And hear this, and who feel like they just lost their hope especially as they watch people, including us, Christians, celebrate this ruling. Love the dads involved in these pregnancies and love every person who views abortion differently than we do, which, if you know the statistics, is about 70% of the country. Commit. Commit our lives and families and churches in a fresh way to care for those with unwanted pregnancies. Church, we need to commit to serve them, we need to commit to honor them, we need to work for their sake and address all the reasons, personal, relational, social, economic, educational, spiritual, and otherwise, that lead them to desire abortion or desire to abort a child. Commit to provide the support that they need to care for their children, and when that is not possible, to provide for their children through foster care and or adoption. And then finally, proclaim. Proclaim the hope that is found in Jesus alone, the creator who came to us as a baby in a mother's womb. To love us, care for us, live for us, and die so that everyone who hopes in him across our nation and all nations might have abundant life for all eternity. Praise, love, commit, proclaim. Now, to some of you in here today, we need to say and say unequivocally, there is no question when it comes to the word of God and abortion. And yet in our culture, we're going to struggle. I know some may struggle because our culture is going to push in a different direction. And with all cultural issues, church, the place you need to start wrestling with is what does God say, not what do the political parties say. Those are different. And I find that often what people are pushing against is the political agendas and the hypocrisies in the midst of them instead of simply wrestling with what the Word of God says because the Word of God and political parties, they're not moving necessarily in the same direction. And so we need to unequivocally say God cares for the unborn and God cares for women who are in that circumstance, abandoned often by men, And uncared for. And church, when it comes to life, we have not supported life across the boards. The church has often emphasized the unborn to the exclusion of the poor, to the exclusion of the immigrant, to the exclusion of those that are experiencing racism. We often apply politics instead of scripture, and at Bergen Park Church, we're gonna apply scripture instead of politics. Because I think that's what honors the Lord. So we're going to disagree, okay? And that's okay. It's okay. But in the end, we want to take our heart, our affections, our devotion, and the way that we do church and life, and we want to surrender it to God, not to us. And so if you're wrestling with that, what, I want, what I'd encourage you to do is just bring it before the Lord. Turn off CNN. And let me flip it around. Turn off Fox News, okay? It's not helping you. I don't know anyone that watches Fox News that comes out with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Or CNN, or MSNBC, or what Newsweek, or Newsmax, I don't know how many are there. And when you don't have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, there's a spirit in you that is not from the Lord. And so we have to start with Christ. We have to go to him. And then in community, listen, we have to be patient with one another. What does it look like for us to engage well in this cultural moment? Romans 12. Let me read this for you. Romans 12. Hear what the gospel looks like when it shows up in Evergreen. It looks like this. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affections. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Constant contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Church, rejoice with those who rejoice, but may we today also weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Be not haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends On you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Instead, leave it for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals, On his head, do not be overcome by evil, but church, let us overcome evil with good. Because see, that's how Jesus overcame you. Jesus overcame us with good. By laying down his life, when I lived in ignorance, when I was in sin and brokenness and rebellion, Christ died for me in church that is the ethic we take out into the world that's what we take out into the world deep breath we're okay no one's yelling at me (laughs) hey we love you church we are in revelation chapter 3 so we go from this to revelation light to light You know, that's what we do at Bergen Park Church. We seek to walk through the word of God, to walk through scripture, just to simply lay it before us and to allow it to challenge us, to speak into our life, to show us areas of our life that we are saying, God, no, not now, to show us kind of what it means to follow him, to show us who he is and what he wants for us. And so we're going to be in Revelation chapter three. We're going to pick up uh, this letter to the church in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So we've been going through this series uh, to the letter of the churches, and the reason we're doing this is really just to ask the question, what does Jesus think about the church? Because I I know there's a lot of evaluation about the church. Certainly there's an evaluation outside of these walls, there's an evaluation inside of these walls, and I constantly feel evaluated by both. (laughs) The outside these walls and the inside these walls, and what matters is what does Jesus say about the church? And here's what's crazy, Jesus loves the church. Because the church is really hard to love at times. And the church, listen, the church is not one hour on Sunday morning. This is all the church you got. This isn't enough of church. Church is you. Church is us. Church is those who have been redeemed by God, called by his name, brought out of darkness and delight, and we live life together following Christ, doing what Jesus did, becoming like who Christ is, being in his presence. And see, one of the things he's going to tell us to the church in Philadelphia is that Jesus is crazy in love with his church. And often it hurts me as a pastor when I hear Christians criticize the church. Now, there's some just reasons to criticize the church. I'm not afraid of evaluating the church. But when we criticize the church to the extent that we reject it, what we're saying is we're rejecting Christ's bride. Jesus is so in love with the church, and he knows how messed up his bride is, okay? He has... He has no illusions that she is perfect in every way, but in his sight and how he loves her and what he's done for her, he has cleansed her, he has covered her in righteousness, and he is passionately pursuing her. That is us. And often we criticize the church, but we don't see the church the way that Christ does, which is loved, redeemed, chosen, blessed, and set aside for him. And so in the letter to the church in Philadelphia, we're going to study a a church that's really going through hardships as they're engaging a world that's pushing against the gospel and really rejecting them as people in this community. So let's jump into it, uh, Revelation chapter 7, chapter 7, it's not chapter 7, I don't want to go to chapter 7 yet, chapter 3, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens, uh, who opens and no one can shut, and who shuts and no one opens. I know your words. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. And I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews, but they are not. But lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. To try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. And so hold fast to what you have. So that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers... I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Father, would you meet us here Lord, you tell us that you're already present so often we're just not aware because of our own brokenness, our own, our own challenges, Father, just an inability to receive you, to hear from you. And so in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Father, would we hear the affirming love of our God that though we are broken, though we are sinful, though we are weak, it's in you that we are made strong, you have cleansed us redeemed us you call us beautiful in your sight father may that truth and reality of who we are in Christ and what we've received in the gospel made empower us to love and good works so teach us this morning father we ask in Jesus name amen so the book of revelation was written in a really rough time see the preceding emperor before this book was written was a guy named nero and usually you name pit bulls nero As a good pit bull name. Because that's what Nero was. He was like a pit bull. And then after Nero came somebody worse. His name was Domitian. And that's when this letter was written under the emperor Domitian. And then after this letter was written, it was Trajan. And Trajan made it illegal for someone to be a Christian. And so what was happening when this letter is written is persecution, 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 persecution. And it's an unveiling to show the church hey, here's what's real. I know everybody condemns you, everyone hates you, everyone's cast you aside, but I am still with you and there is power in me if you'll just rest in who I am. And see, to this church in Philadelphia, they were under great persecution in part because they were tiny, weak, small, insignificant. I mean, this is the kind of church you would drive by and never give a second look at. I'm not going to that church. They got no website. They got no podcasts. You know, they are not together. They are not hip. They got no lights on the stage. This is a weak, insignificant church. Now, last week, we read Sardis. Sardis had a great reputation. Everybody loves Sardis. You heard about the church in Sardis? Yeah. That's a great church right there. But you know what Jesus said? Your reputation's great, your heart's dead. In Philadelphia, your reputation stinks, but your heart's alive. Which church do you want to be a part of? You know, our flesh desires Sardis. Sardis. Man, I want to be something hip, cool, slick, beautiful. I want to be those people. Externally looks great, internally dead. Philadelphia externally looks dead, internally alive. Man. And in our culture we so seek intensity, right? I want to be associated with a pastor of intensity, with music of intensity. We want that feeling, that experience and intensity drives things, but you know, fellow faithfulness Faithfulness is what drives our heart towards God, not just intensity. And so he's going to say to this church, listen, I've got nothing against you. You guys are doing well. And yet there's some problems that they're facing. So we're going to look at the problems they're facing, we're going to look at the opportunity, and then finally the promise. And so let's jump back in. There is a problem they are facing, an opportunity, and a promise. First of all, what's the problem? What's the problem? Verse 8, I know your works. And behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. And I know, I know where you are. This is comforting. Hey, I know you feel weak and you have little power. Man, I'd love to hear those words from God sometimes. Through the power of the Spirit, Jason, listen, I know you feel weak. I know you feel rejected. I know you feel tired. I know you feel insignificant. They felt weak. And yet, he goes on to praise them You've kept my word. You've not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews, but they are not. They lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn. They will learn that I have loved you. And why will this happen? Because you have kept my word about patient endurance. Church, you have little power. When you're facing powerful people who want to oppress you, that's frightening. You got no power. You got no wealth. You got no influence. You got no name. You got no title. And the people who hate you have all the power in the world to crush you. You have little power. That is a frightening place to be, to be oppressed, rejected, and have nothing to protect yourself with. That's where this church is. Absolutely left defenseless. And yet Jesus is saying, come and trust me. Though the doors outside, the doors in your community have been shut, the door to me is still open. That's the first thing. They have little power. But second, they're facing persecution. And when it describes this language, it seems pretty harsh, right? Almost anti-Semitic. It says there's this synagogue of Satan. People who call themselves Jews but are not. They hate the church. Now, why do they hate the church at this moment? Because, see, Christians, we were seen as Jews early on. And that protected us. I don't know if you realize that. It helped. Because, see, the Romans had a... They knew Jews, right? They got those. They understood what they were. And the Romans, for many years, protected the Jews in the sense that they didn't have to worship Caesar as Lord. They got a pass. They pulled out the hall pass, right? Listen, I'm I'm Jewish. I don't have to do this. Okay, all you have to do is pay the temple tax to the emperor and so Jews had an exemption here comes these Christians you know what we don't we're not worshiping the emperor and what's happening is that's causing this exemption that the Jews have they're nervous because these often Jewish Christians were not honoring the emperor and they thought persecution was going to come against them so what the Jews were doing like hey those are the Christians they're not one of us and they called them out And so great persecution came on the church by the hands of the Jewish people who honestly, they were protecting themselves from another evil, which were the Romans. So that's one reason they were persecuted. But also, it was because as Christians, we said Jesus was the Messiah. And that's what a lot of this language in verse 7 is about. There's a lot of messianic language in this passage. Messianic language is the promise that one is going to come, the King of David... In the line of David, he's going to set right what sin has made wrong. And what Jesus is saying, he's identifying himself as that messianic ruler. And in verse 7, you see some of that language. Jesus is called the one who is holy and true. Now, that's language that's only used of God. God is holy, and God only speaks the truth. And Jesus is affirming his divinity. But then he says something pretty powerful here. I got the keys of David. Wait a minute. You have the keys that open the door to God's presence and power. Yep, I do. That's blasphemous. Only the Messiah can have those keys. See, the keys of David refer to the keys of the kingdom, and in the kingdom is the king. And in the kingdom, and in that king is his presence and his power, and Jesus says, I'm coming in the presence and in the power of the king, and I'm the only one that can give you access to the king, and I'm the only one that can bring the authority and the resources of the king. Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. That's why we pray, hopefully every day, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because see, when God's kingdom comes, there will be no more racism. When God's kingdom comes, there will be no more hunger. There will be no more abortion. There'll be no more divorce. There'll be no hatred. Because see, when God's presence covers things, it gets healed, and that's the idea, that's what salvation is. Initially, it's, it's God's Holy Spirit coming in and spiritually we're healed, yet physically, relationally, socially, psychologically, we're still messed up. And when God finally comes, all things are made whole because his presence will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. And Jesus is saying, that's, that's who I am. And he affirms that in verse 12. Because in verse 12, he says, I'm gonna bring the new Jerusalem, guys. That one day the new Jerusalem, the city of God, the authority and presence of God is gonna come down out of heaven and it's gonna cover the earth. That's Revelation 21. Often we think we're gonna to go to heaven. No, one day heaven's coming down and it'll be the new heavens and the new earth and God's presence will cover all things and all of creation will rejoice because it is made whole in the presence of its creator. Jesus is saying, That's me. And so this church was persecuted because they claimed to follow the one who was the Messiah, and these Jewish brothers rejected that notion. And so there was a problem. There was persecution, and they were weak. But see, in that, there is an opportunity. And he captures this in verse 8. He says, I know your works, I know your faithfulness, and I've set before you a door, an open door, which no one is able to shut. Now, that's kind of veiled language to us, but it's pretty clear in the New Testament what he's referring to. An open door in Isaiah, or in the New Testament, you find this language in Isaiah often. It's a reference either to salvation, that God opens the door, and so Jesus says, I am the door, you may remember that. He says, I'm the door, why? Because he's the pathway to the Father. So I'm the door of salvation, but I'm also the door into God's kingdom, into his resources, and so he's referring both to an opportunity and to salvation. Now, first, he's referring to salvation because, remember, this church, doors have been shut. Many of these people were Jewish. They worshiped in the synagogue. That was kind of like their community center. I mean, that's where they hung out. That's where they got the news. That's where they found love and support and encouragement. It's where people came together to plow your fields and all that kind of stuff. That door was shut. As soon as they named the name of Christ, they were cast out. They were cast out economically, socially, and every other way. And Jesus is saying, though, you're shut out in the community. My door is open to you. I want you to be with me. So on the one hand, it refers to salvation. On the other, it refers to God's presence and power. That though the powers of the world seem shut off to you, I'm still available to you. And I have not closed the opportunity. And the opportunity is really the opportunity to share the gospel into a community that wanted nothing to do with them. I'm opening a door for fruitfulness, but here's the problem. You ready for this? I don't like this. It's gonna come through your faithfulness. As you endure suffering and persecution, the way the gospel is going to bear fruit is as persecution and suffering comes into your life, and you are faithful. I will bring fruit into the world. Hey, I'd rather him just do that, you know, instead of suffering and persecution. Can we set the suffering and persecution aside? That's not necessary, right? But you say, no, I want to do something through you, and I need to do it often through your hardships, difficulties, and struggles. I show up best in your strength, power, weakness. And God is taking this church to a place where all the resources around them, their finances, their politics, it's not going to work. It's not going to get you through. You have to rely on Christ. And we see this language in the New Testament, Colossians 4.3. At the same time pray also that God may open a door to us for the word to declare the mysteries of Christ on which account I am in prison. And that's the same language that he's using that there's this door of opportunity and we see that opportunity happening actually in verse 9. Here's what's going to happen. Behold I will make those Revelation 9, uh, 3, 9. Who are a synagogue of Satan, who say they're Jews but are not, but lie, behold, I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Now, this is not humiliation, it's repentance. This is not them coming down and worshiping the church. See, bowing down is language towards God. You didn't worship people, you worship God. What it's saying is this community that was persecuting you through your faithfulness, through your love and sacrifice, by overcoming evil with good they're going to see that I am real and that I have loved you and I have loved them. They're going to repent. And what's going to happen is through your perseverance, this community is going to come to embrace the gospel. How does that happen? How does an externally weak church have influence in the culture? And it's through this word, and I don't like this word, endurance. This is a common phrase in the New Testament. It's a Greek word, and it's two words stuck together, hoopo which means under, and meno, which means uh, to stand. And so hoopomeno endurance, means to stand under, to stand under the weight, to stand under the oppression, to stand under the suffering. And the way we respond, see, to the closed doors in life will determine what open doors God gives us. The way we respond to the closed doors we experience in life. And closed doors can be closed doors of suffering. It can be closed doors of persecution. It can be closed doors in the sense of our obedience. Because the obedience to God means you're shutting other things out. And when you respond in faithfulness to God, hupo meno meaning enduring, God will do things through your obedience and faithfulness that he wants to bring about. But it's not going to happen apart from your engagement and your faithfulness. You know, so often in my life, I find that God doesn't answer my prayers until I move in the area where I am disobedient. Am I speaking to anyone today? I often find that when I'm praying for something, God, would you fix this? Would you help me with this? Jason, we've talked about this. There is an area in your life that is in absolute rebellion, and until you're willing to submit to me, it's not as if his presence is gone, but he's just waiting. I've talked to you. It's just like our kids, right? Listen, hey, I want to go to the arcade. I want to go to the movie. Listen, don't make me walk into that room and look. Often I'll say to my kids, don't bring me a question where you know the answer is no. And so often we're going to God, and just like James says, you do not have because you do not ask, but you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures, you adulterous people. You don't want me. You want my stuff. Let's just be honest for a moment. And often there's areas of our life of disobedience and we just don't want to get that straight. So we're arguing with God on things and he's saying, listen, the only way this fruit is gonna come about is you gotta give it up. You are powerless. Submit to my power, surrender, and you will find freedom and restoration and joy and peace. Church, sometimes we just need to submit to him. We just need to submit to him. And he wants to do through our obedience something that on our own we could not do, that they will come and bow before you and they will admit that I have loved you. See, what's, what's gonna happen in the city of Philadelphia? If you guys wanna pull that map up, it's at the beginning of the slides. The city of Philadelphia was, was poised as a center for Hellenistic thought, and Hellenistic means Greek thought. So you kinda see where Philadelphia is. It's in Asia Minor. Today it's Turkey, it wasn't Turkey back then. And Philadelphia is set on the major access roads throughout that country. One of the things the Greeks did well was they built some amazing highways. In Philadelphia, this very weak church, you could imagine it's almost like they invented the internet, right? The internet was invented in Philadelphia. You guys get the first opportunity to proclaim the gospel through it. And this church, this very weak church realized that was small in number and very insignificant in power for the resources of that culture is going to exist for another 1,200 years and send the gospel throughout the known world. This tiny, insignificant church for 1,200 years, they were eventually destroyed in the year 1,300-something, and they were cast out. But because of the location they were in, the gospel went out to all corners of the earth because of their faithfulness. See, God, through that faithfulness, brought fruit into their life. And the question for us is, what things are we bumping up against that instead of simply loving, surrendering, being obedient to God, we're resisting? And we're choosing the way of power of the world or the power of the flesh over the power of God, which is repentance and faith. Where are we resisting him? Hey, listen, we all got it. I mean, I know I got my issues. Often my issues, and I've confessed it enough. I'll confess again, it's okay, it's Sunday. It's the fear of man. It's, the, it's hard to stand up here and have the fear of man in your heart. Because you know what's going to happen today, and especially tomorrow, I'm going to wake up and all these accusations are going to. You should have said this. You didn't say that. They didn't like that. Man, the fear of man is powerful. And the question is, am I going to surrender to that idol and say, you know, the fear of man? God, that is nothing in comparison to the fear of God. And the fear of God is going to lead to freedom. The fear of man is going to lead to enslavement. Which one am I going to follow? And see, he wants us to surrender to him, the one who loves us, to give us an opportunity. And there's a promise in this. So there's a problem, they are weak, they're persecuted. There's a promise, an open door. But then finally, there's, there's a purpose. There's a purpose. And I wanna draw a few things out as we close. Is first of all, closed doors always have a purpose. The closed doors that we encounter, they, they always have They always have a purpose. And he's saying, I'm holding the keys of the kingdom in verse seven. That as you run up against something you cannot move, realize the power and the resources you need, they're in me. And the reason for this closed door, Jason, is to draw closer to me, not to what you want. And often God will shut the doors to cause us to draw closer to him. That in those obstacles and in those challenges, we have the opportunity to cry out. And in those weaknesses, in that space he gives us more grace meaning he pours out his presence and so through those shut doors there's a purpose ephesians two eighteen, for through him meaning through jesus we both have access in one spirit to the father closed doors always have a purpose and here's the purpose those closed doors are there to make you great not to crush you or to harm you but to give you life hope and a future Those closed doors are there to refine you and make you great. I want to explain this. Watch this in verse 11. And I am coming soon and hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown and the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and never will he go out of it. When he uses that language of of pillars, it made a lot of sense to people in Philadelphia because the city of Philadelphia was on a fault line And in that community, there are often earthquakes. And when there were earthquakes, you wanted to get next to something solid that would not fall. And often, what they do is they would leave the city. They would have to go out of the city and go out and live under the stars and then come back to the city once the earthquakes had passed. And he says, through these challenges, I want to make you stable. I want to make you a pillar. And I want to keep you in my presence. And I want to write my name on your heart. I want to make you stronger. You know what suffering often reveals in my life? It reveals what's most important to me. It often shows me me. And one of the challenges we often have to tap into is that we are not aware of what we feel and what we think. We so grab a hold to power and the resources we have that when suffering and difficulty comes, we just get busier. Or we medicate, we run to comfort. Instead of allowing the Spirit of God to speak to us and say, Son, you're afraid. I can't be afraid, I'm 47 years old, I'm successful, I got titles, I got abilities, I'm not afraid. No, you're afraid. And the only thing that can comfort your fear is me. Or it could be that you're in a situation and you're just simply grieving. You don't want to admit you're grieving. You don't want to acknowledge that you're grieving and the only way that grief's gonna be met is in his presence and he says, I'm gonna keep you here until you recognize your sadness and you recognize the solution that sadness is found in me. And some of us, you know what we do? We avoid hurt. I'm not gonna admit that I'm hurt. I'm not gonna admit that you hurt me. There's no way I'm possibly gonna do that. Son, until you admit that you're hurt, you're gonna crush the people around you. You're gonna hurt the people around you. But that hurt can only be solved as you bring it to me. See, he wants our humanity. And it's only through suffering and difficulty that you see more of you and you start experiencing more of him. And he begins to refine us just as fire refines Pure metals and out of it comes gold. He refines our hearts. He refines our devotion. He refines our passions and our affections, and we find that He is enough. You're not going to learn that just through the good times. You'll only learn that if you allow Him to, to walk with you through the challenges of life. Hey, I'm not sure where those challenges are hitting you today. There could be an area of your life you're just refusing to surrender, refusing to submit, something you're saying, listen, God. I know what you teach, but I really don't care. Maybe this morning, what the first step is just to acknowledge that with him, to say, Father, I'm, I'm disobedient. When it comes to this area of life, I really don't care what Scripture says. I just care what I think, or I care what my culture thinks. And maybe that's a place you need to surrender. Or there could be an area of addiction in your own life. There could be an area of psychological addiction, physical addiction, social addiction, whatever it is. As we celebrate communion, we have to lay those realities down before our Father. Invite him to heal us. Invite us, invite him to stir us. And then to acknowledge you are the one who is holy and true. And you're the one that has the keys of the kingdom. Father, it's through Jesus that I have access through the Spirit into your presence. And so I want to meet you here. And the way that we do that at Bergen Park is through communion. That as we end the service we always celebrate communion together. Because see, in communion we realize it's through the death of Jesus, through his body and his blood that we have a relationship with the father and then it's through his resurrection life that we can go out into the world and to follow christ through his authority and his presence and so if you didn't grab the communion elements as stephen comes up we want to encourage you to do that those elements are available up front they're also available in the back and i know uh, many of you need to go grab those so take the opportunity to grab those elements i need to do it too i forgot to i forgot to pick it up thanks brett And we're going to take a few moments just to, to silently pray. And listen, if there is a, a specific concern today that you want to be prayed for, there are going to be people up front that want to pray for you. And if maybe this is not the right time for that, you can also go to our Connect Center and their prayer card's there. And you can fill those out and just let us know how we can, how we can support you. Let's spend some time in God's presence together.